podcast listeners. Whether you're new to the series or a regular with us, we're so glad you're tuning in. I'm your host, Laura Rumbly, and this is episode number 74 in our series. Today, we're touching base with arguably the two most important student organizations in Europe, the European Students' Union and the Erasmus Student Network. As we'll hear in this episode, ESU, or ESU, and ESN, as they're commonly referred to, are involved in a wide array of activities focused on student advocacy, engagement, and empowerment across Europe and beyond. And both groups have new leadership as of just a few months ago. So our conversation today is with the presidents of these two remarkable student organizations, Horia Onitsa of ESU and Rita Diash of ESN. As they settle into their new roles, we thought this was an excellent moment for the EAAE community to get up to date on the kinds of challenges and opportunities these student leaders see affecting student life in Europe today, and how their respective organizations are engaging with these issues and prioritizing actions. Before getting more deeply into these many interesting details, I began by asking both Rita and Horia to introduce themselves and give us a short indication of what their organizations principally stand for and aspire to today. So ESN is the largest organization that deals with mobility. We are present at the moment in 44 countries. They're actually very happy because we just have accepted Kazakhstan as our member. So we are going out of borders of um, the normal education area. Um, so our goal is to support uh, the world for a better and uh, more mobility for opportunities for international students. And a bit also from my background, so I'm, um, I'm a political science student. I graduated uh, two years ago with a master in public policy. And I had several experiences um, in the area. I actually working in the United States Embassy, uh, which led me also to like this international environment experience. But actually, I've dedicated part of my study study international uh, internationalization and Erasmus Plus, which actually led to me getting more involved with ESN, the work that ESN does. And eventually, after applying for presence of ESN and being here today. Firstly, thank you very much for uh, having us and for this uh, great conversation. Uh, ESO has been founded in 1982, uh, and it represents higher education students at the uh, European level. Uh, we represent in total 20 million students to our 45 national union of students from 40 countries. Uh, we are working on an array of topics as uh, there are many issues that concern students from social dimension to public responsibility of higher education, internationalization and mobility, quality of education and learning and teaching uh, in various uh, foras. So from the Bologna process to the European education area or Council of Europe. Regarding myself, I'm 25 years old. I'm coming from Romania. I've been active in the student movement for the last nine years already. I'm a lawyer. I have a bachelor and a master's in, in law and uh, many other passions from, from singing to maths. But uh, in a nutshell, that's, uh, that's the most important elements about me. It's really great to hear these insights into your organizations, as well as something about the people you are personally. So thank you for those self-introductions. Um, you've both talked about the interests and some of the issues that your organizations are connected to and thinking about and working on. And I wonder if you had to present a hierarchy of challenges, if you had to narrow it down to a couple of top challenges facing the students you represent today, what would those be? And how do you see your respective organizations addressing those challenges? Yes, actually, this came in a very good timing because uh, we are planning to launch our analysis of the SN survey very, very soon. It actually attends to 
um, get to the public to know more about the student perspective and the problems that students face and also to, to support uh, higher education institutions and the actors involved in, in mobility problems to, to understand what are the, the problems that students face. And we actually by analyzing the survey understand that the two main problems that students face are related with lack of funding, so lack of uh, funding opportunities for them to learn mobility, but also uh, problems in finding accommodation. And actually with this topic of accommodation, we actually have partnered up with ESU and we have done a housing survey research that led to an housing survey report that actually uh, it's very interesting to understand what are the students' perspectives on the housing issue that's very uh, predominant in the in our world today. Thank you for the question. And students are very diverse and have a lot of challenges across Europe, for sure. But uh, if I were to, to pick some points, firstly, I would recall a, a topic that was also mentioned previously by Rita, so the social situation. We had a cost of living crisis in 2022, which is still lingering. Uh, grants were not indexed. Uh, we had issues with, with housing support, with uh, meals, with transportation. And in general, this created also a mental well-being a crisis for students. <clears throat> After the pandemic, uh, the situation has worsened. Uh, in 2019, we had data that shown that uh, one quarter of students had financial difficulties. And um, from what we discussed with our National Union of Students, we are fully aware that uh, this uh, this has gone up. So uh, we had a student poverty campaign last year. And right now, we are uh, working uh, with governments on commitments that should be created to support the social dimension of higher education. And a second point is what I would call the feeling of agency of being able to have that voices heard. Uh, we have so many societal challenges around us from climate change to, to artificial intelligence uh, and several developments in education and beyond in, in society in general where students may feel and feel that they are not uh, adequately heard, that uh, politicians and in general uh, decision makers are not there for them and uh, fully uh, engage them. And uh, this is something that, of course, we are working on uh, to train, to empower students, to create particip participatory spaces either in higher education or beyond. For example, in in higher education, we have the European uh, alliances uh, where we try to, to make student voices heard, but uh, this is a generic, uh, I would say, element re related to student participation. So that matter of agency is something I would like to pick up on in just a little bit. But first, to kind of come back to the ways that you do your work as organizations. I know that you do projects independently. You also work in partnership with other, other organizations, including one another. Could you talk a little bit about the ways that ESU and ESN do collaborate? Where do you complement each other? And what are some of the specific areas in which you're collaborating? Rita, I know you've already mentioned a little bit about the surveying work, but can we talk a bit more about those collaboration dynamics? Um, Horia, can I stick with you on this question? Surely, thank you. There are indeed many, many strands of work where uh, our uh, strength and cooperation enhances the chances of success and the voice that we have on, on several topics, um, starting, for example, on, on youth policies and things related to, to European affairs. But mainly, uh, let's say the, the most important area of cooperation is on the topic of, of mobility. Uh, we are now in the middle of the process of, of the midterm review of Erasmus+. Uh, we have the multi-annual financial framework 
revision being discussed, the budget for the next year, and in general, we are looking into how to make Erasmus uh, more inclusive, uh, more more green and sustainable, and to ensure that uh, the the finances are kept to the expectation. And this is a very successful cooperation, I would say, between SU and ESN that uh, evolved over time. Of course, there are other areas of cooperation and many many partners in the in the European higher education bubble. Uh, we are happy to have several partners that really do take into consideration student voice and and uh, make it heard and uh, promote it like we are also doing now with uh, with EAIA and we are uh, thankful for that uh, but also we have different bubbles i would say so for academic freedom we are uh, having a network of organizations that we cooperate with on quality we have the e4 cooperation in in higher education for quality assurance so we see ourselves also let's say maybe as as a uh, organization that tries to link and bridge these uh, these cooperation bubbles very interesting, Horia. Thank you. Rita, how do you see this issue of collaboration from the ESN perspective, whether with ESU or with other organizations? It is a bit similar to ESU's, to ESU's perspective. So uh, we try to cooperate with several organizations depending on the topic. So, for example, we had a big project called that's now closing called Green Erasmus. Uh, we try to cooperate with several institutions uh, on this topic that were experts on the topic uh, to try to promote a more not only green mobility, but for students after when they want mobility to feel more social responsible about the topic. And we try, of course, with these special specific topics to cooperate with experts and to not only get a student perspective, but also to get their, their input on this. With ESWE, it's been a cooperation that has been straight for, for many years. We actually have been cooperating not only in the housing survey uh, report, but also in a very interesting research about BIPs, uh, about planning testing programs. There is now a topic being picked upon on and being explored, uh, hopefully, in the next midterm review and uh, evaluation of the program. Great. So we have now a better sense of the essentials of your approaches to collaborative action. Very helpful. I wonder if we could actually turn our attention a bit to the wider world of work that is to be done out there. Both of your organizations have a distinct focus on the European context. But of course, Europe doesn't exist in a bubble, nor do your organizations. So could you talk a little bit for us about the wider world of student experience and activism beyond Europe that you're also involved in? Horia, what does that wider world look like to ESU? Uh, student experience is very different even between European countries and uh, looking at the global experience we have of course we have many things in common but so many uh, policies and practices are different but uh, more and more the challenges facing students and higher education and society in general cannot be answered by only a regional cooperation and for sure not by, by Europe alone. And this is why uh, we have founded the Global Student Forum, which is the first and, and uh, the only global umbrella organization for uh, for student platforms and student organizations in the world. And uh, we have an array of topics uh, of relevance there. So either we are talking about social justice, about uh, solidarity, as there are many uh, countries, unfortunately, in the world, uh, which are uh, uh, rippled with uh, with chaos, with war, uh, with uh, with poverty, uh, and so on. We are working on on setting the quality frameworks and recognition frameworks for furthering international cooperation and mobility. For example, in relationship with the new global convention on recognitions in Africa, there are uh, promising developments on the quality framework. So we are working with the All African Students Union uh, on that. And I would say the more general umbrella of SDGs. We are trying together to make our voices heard at UNESCO level and 
in the implementation of the sustainable development goals. And so far, I think it is uh, both a rewarding experience for, for all the, the members of various regions of the world to be able to cooperate on global issues and also a game changer in terms of students actually being heard in global affairs. Thanks so much for sharing that ESU view on wider world connections, Korea. So Rita, over to you now. How does ESN see this link with the context outside of Europe? Yes, so we also try to, to strengthen this. And like I said in the, in the beginning, we now have a separate member in Kazakhstan. We have now a member in North Macedonia. So we try a bit to follow us in the program priority. We try to, to go to, to partner countries and try to promote mobility and for also to create our own umbrella organizations that can support students there. Because in our point of perspective, is one of the most important parts of the mobility process is students to be integrated there. And our volunteers do... In, in my opinion, an, an excellent job uh, in, the, in this support. Um, we are now also in the process of accepting Jordan as, as a member organization of ESN. So hopefully our organization will, will enlarge and also supporting mobility in other parts uh, of the world. Uh, of course, the, the processes are different. There is administrative burden uh, to, to also not only to support the students, but also support the volunteers to come to, to, to Europe. But it's something that we actually plan to work together with them, but also with an organization called UNIMA, that uh, with them we plan to, to try to better support the students uh, with these processes to participate more actively in society. Indeed, very interesting to see the various ways that ESN is linking out into the world in different ways and on different issues. Very exciting to hear about that. This brings me back to the point that Horia mentioned earlier about this matter of student agency. Now, of course, you both are at the heart of two very active, very visible student organizations in Europe. So the vitality of your networks is very clear. But as you look out across the landscape in Europe and maybe more broadly, how would you characterize the state of student engagement or activism or volunteerism or advocacy writ large? Are you excited by what you see or are you concerned? And, you know, are there any kinds of specific targets you might like to see achieved when it comes to student involvement in the important issues of the day today? Rita, could I ask you for your reflections on this question first? Yes, so actually it's very interesting because I think I think Ori also feels a bit the, this feeling when you work a long time um, with, with, with student organizations, you feel a bit that you are inside of, of a bubble. And then you need to be step aside, step aside of the bubble and understanding what actually it's passing and what actually is the perception of the students about student organizations. And actually, in, in our survey, we understand that comparing to the last edition of the Erasmus Plus program and the last survey that was done two years ago, students are less engaged in civic uh, society activities, not in participating in democratic processes. So European elections, they, will, they are still engaged, but in participating in, in student organizations, they are, they are less engaged. And actually, it's one of the priorities of the Erasmus Plus program. It doesn't mean that it's not being successful. It just means that something is missing for the students to, to continue being engaged in student organizations. Korea, how would you react to that comment from Rita? And what do you see from an ESU perspective? Shirley, thank you. Uh, I think the the whole situation changed a lot during the pandemic because uh, student organizations could not operate fully and functionally. And because student organizations and in general student activism is 
based on bonds, on connections, on being able to create environments and to create activities, projects, ideals, initiatives together. And that was severely altered, for sure, by the pandemic. We do see informal participation increasing in the aftermath of the pandemic. There are more and more broader topics that students are, are interested in. But also, it is a very interesting thing in the matter of spaces for participation, because uh, on the one side, we have the student activists that fight for spaces and want to create participatory spaces. But then on the other side, we have all the other students uh, which do, are not engaged in, in similar processes. So we need to have a student engagement which is enhanced or supported. And uh, in many cases, we see that uh, this decreases because of tokenism, because students do not see a point, to, to put it very uh, colloquially. Uh, they feel that the processes that uh, they should be engaged in have no uh, end goal. They have no follow-up. So this is why uh, they will not pursue the, that participation. But especially, as Rita said, in matters of, of promoting and defending democracy, we see increased interest. And this is also because, unfortunately, we do see in several countries a backsliding in democracy. And we, we really see students uh, in the front run of changing that, uh, that, that practices. Thank you for those insights, Horia. There is a great deal to think about there and a lot of important work ahead, it seems. So changing gears a bit here as we move to wrap up our conversation together, I'd like to ask you both to reflect on your roles for ESU and ESN and what those mean to you. So on the one hand, I'd love to know what ultimately motivated you to seek out these very demanding, though of course very exciting leadership opportunities. And now that you're in them, is there any specific advice your predecessors have shared with you about managing this responsibility that you think will be particularly valuable? Or is there anything in particular you'd like to share with our audience about your vision for where you're headed and what you hope to achieve during this period? Rita, can I ask you to kick in on this one first? Yes, uh, so actually, the, we are just starting in this position. We, that's both a transition month with our predecessors. And one of the most valuable things that we actually can learn with, with the people in the past in organizations, but also with our times in, in, in these positions, it's actually that every problem can be solved. And for every problem, there is a solution. We just need to take some time to think uh, about the solutions. But I do advise everybody to take an opportunity to experience um, these roles if they have an opportunity to do that, because it's an enriching um, opportunity, not only professionally, but also uh, personally to create your life. Thank you for that reflection, Rita. And Horia, what can you tell us about your path into this role and what lies ahead? Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. It is indeed for sure a privilege. And I'm saying it both in terms of a privilege for what you see and what you learn and uh, the people that you meet and the, the changes that you're able to make. But also it is a, a privilege that uh, unfortunately many students uh, do not have the opportunities to, to get involved and to also arrive in these uh, positions of responsibility uh, for various reasons. And uh, I think the, the most important element is when you look back and you see that uh, you actually was able to you were able to do a meaningful change and i do have uh, those kind of experiences uh, back in my days in romania when especially at school level i was i was fighting for for students rights in an environment that had no proper regulation for it and uh, when you look back and you see uh, that actually you can impact 
a big, a very big community through, through your advocacy. It's probably the, the best feeling that you basically uh, have after you finish your, uh, your mandate in different positions. But uh, one, one lesson that I have is that uh, you need to uh, let things grow in time. And especially at European level, it is way more difficult to have concrete change from one day to another. Uh, we expect it, we want it as students, but uh, we need to understand that we influence processes that uh, are a butterfly effect in, at the end of the day. And uh, there is always a time to plow and a time to uh, seed, uh, as Wittgenstein said, actually. So uh, this is, uh, I think, a very, very important lesson for us uh, in terms of the theory of change and what we want to impact in society. Those are very wise words indeed, Horia, and a great way for us to finalize our time together, I think. I'd just like to say that the EAE community is extremely interested in, and I would say also extremely impressed by, the work of both ESU and ESN. So it's really a pleasure to get up close and personal with both of you today in these early months of your presidencies. We really look forward to hearing more about your work moving forward and are really grateful for your time. Thanks for chatting today. Thank you so Thank much. You very much. That was Horia Onitsa, President of the European Students' Union, and Rita Diash, President of the Erasmus Student Network. If you're interested in learning more about ESU and ESN and some of the projects and activities we've been chatting about in this conversation, please check out our session notes for relevant links. Are you interested in learning more about what the EAE has to offer beyond this podcast? Why not start your exploration of what we're currently up to by checking out the upcoming EAIE Academy course, creating a positive international student experience. This in-person training takes place in Amsterdam from 30 November to 1 December. There are only a few seats remaining, so register today so you don't miss out. Another EAIE activity we're very keen for you to know about is the EAIE Barometer Survey, for which we're seeking high levels of participation from across the European higher education area. Data collected via the Barometer Survey helps the EAIE track developments in internationalization over time, and the findings can influence future policy and practice within our field. So we very much hope you'll make your voice heard by completing the barometer survey before it closes on November 3rd. The survey is a little long, but it's not difficult to complete, and we are giving away exciting prizes like fee waivers for trainings, EAIE membership, and the EAIE conference fee in 2024. So there are lots of good reasons to participate. We hope you'll do so and encourage your colleagues to take part as well. Thank you for spending time with the EAE podcast today. Another episode will be available in just two weeks, and we hope you'll tune in again then. For now, all good wishes to you from the EAE. <laughs>